This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Sunsire Perez, and we're going to talk about how she has co-founded Koala as a frontline intelligence platform. Before we begin, I'll remind you that this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you want to discover, embrace, and share your voice on more platforms, head over to nightly.productions to find out how we can help you do just that and create the tactical content that delivers. Again, that's Nightly Dot Productions. Sunsire, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to chat with you today. So I'm super excited because you're obviously a very powerful female leader in a space that's very interesting. I don't normally talk to too many folks in the um, intelligence platform realm. And I, I want to give the audience an opportunity to know a little bit about you, where you're a Boston-based founder on a mission to change the interaction customers are facing through fast technology in order to deliver exceptional experiences. That's where you co-founded Koala.io, the only frontline intelligence platform for B2B SaaS companies that help them better serve, retain, and upsell customers. A ton of that is from, you have other businesses that you've started where you co-founded Promobox. It was a marketing technology company. You have other things you've done that are just an incredible amount where you've had a, an interesting run. And overall, you're just a well-versed, insightful speaker, eager to provide customer success leaders and innovators and SaaS businesses with fresh perspectives on how to improve customer health, gain retention, and create expansion to upgrade their company. It's going to be a <laughs> lot to unpack and it's going to be a lot of fun to, to talk through all of that. But before we get started on that, can you tell us a fun fact about yourself we might not know? Sure. I feel like I, I should mention where my name comes from since it's a pretty unique and not many people have heard it before. Although I did meet one or hear of one son, CRA, a long time ago, <laughs> as she spelled her name a little differently. But my name comes from an old Western movie that my mom saw when she was 11 with Jimmy Stewart and Deborah Pageant. And she fell in love with Sun CRA. She thought that she was just a great character in this movie and wrote it down on a piece of paper. And then when she had me many, many years later, my dad wanted to name me Rebecca and my mom won, obviously. So <laughs> that's a little bit where my name comes from. I feel like that's a, a standard. Mom always wins, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we argue with them? They just just give them what they've asked for. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no hope. There's no hope there at all. <laughs> so I, I love that. That's a great fact. And I'm really curious because we're definitely going to unpack your journey, but I want you, I don't think I'm going to do a justice trying to explain Koala. And I want you to have the opportunity to actually explain it in your uh, intelligent manners instead of me trying to fumble over <laughs> what the heck all of that is. So give us a rundown. What is the organization and what do y'all help provide in the customer experience? Sure. Um, no, I appreciate you asking. So, you know, the quick synopsis on Koala is that Jonathan, my co-founder and I, who's also our CEO, we built Koala based on our mutual desires and frustrations building our last companies. So for us, we wanted to stay close to customers while our businesses grew and to do that, we gave them so many ways to reach us, to provide us with feedback on their experiences. Many companies do this. 
customers can email you, they can chat you, you can have, you know, Zoom calls, you ask for survey information and much more. And we do that again, we set up teams to have these conversations and there are so many team members interacting with customers, could be executives, product managers, customer success and support individuals. And what that meant is in our desire to provide our customers any way to get a hold of us and for us to enable our teams to have so many one-to-one conversations, it meant that it was really difficult for us to get an accurate read across all team members, all channels, and all technologies on the narrative of what our customers were experiencing and what they needed from us at scale. So we realized through this process that this is not uncommon. Typically, data, qualitative data in nature, we have about 80% of that data being qualitative and then the 20% being actual usage and quantitative metrics. So we set out to build what we call the frontline intelligence platform. And that essentially means that we are allowing or bringing in any channel where these conversations and interactions are happening with and about customers into our platform so that leaders can mine the data and understand at scale What is the qualitative narrative around our customer experiences so we can build better experiences with our technology? So that was a mouthful, but hopefully shared a little bit about our journey and what we're up to today. That's why I had you explain it, because it actually (laughs) sounded like it made sense compared to how I was trying to explain it. So thank you for doing that. And and I I think it's really going to be a phenomenal tech. And we're definitely going to delve into how you got to Koala. But I want to go way back to that first leadership position, that first idea or inkling of wanting to be an entrepreneur. Can you tell us a story about what got you started along this journey? Sure. It's been a a long, exciting journey thus far. And, you know, taking a a step back for, for me, I come from a long line of civil servants. My father was a police officer. My mother was a, a Spanish high school teacher for me, I, I didn't know many entrepreneurs. I didn't know many founders. And I did have a friend whose father owned a local cafe. And I remember being so fascinated, even as a little girl, with this idea that they created their own jobs. And they were employing my friends, members of the community at their cafe. I became aware that this was such a leap of faith and in a, you know an opportunity for them to achieve and realize a dream that they had had for themselves and for their family. And I was fascinated by it, even again, as a little girl. And as I grew up, I thought I would love to be able to support these individuals and their desire to create or bring these dreams to fruition. I never considered myself someone that would step out from a you know risk perspective and build something, but I knew that I wanted to support other people building amazing things. Fast forward to graduating from college and moving back from Nashville, Tennessee, where I went to school up to New England, I serendipitously joined a cooperative. And for those not familiar with the the cooperative business model, basically you have an entity of customers that pay a, a monthly subscription fee in order to get access to your goods and services, which are typically at a cheaper rate than they would find out there in the market. And so I worked at a marketing cooperative. And what that meant is I was chatting with other small business owners because that's who our cooperative was made up of every single day and hearing their stories and learning about why they started their businesses and then had the idea for this cooperative was specific in the home improvement industry for providing their goods and services across to any industry. So helped build out this new division. And I got a taste of what it was like to start something from scratch. It was not venture backed, you know, it was a startup within another company. 
and felt, wow, this is a fun experience. And I feel really tested and like, I don't know what I'm doing every single day and learning at such a, an incredible velocity, but that's where, you know, that was my very first company. It was called Biz Unite. And it was from the individuals that I met starting that company that I then began Promobox with the marketing technology firm that you mentioned earlier, platform you mentioned earlier. So it just sort of evolved. Uh, one of my favorite quotes or things that I say to myself is it's, you know, the process is the decision. I never made a decision to really like become a founder or become an entrepreneur. It was just my journey along this, you know, this crazy life that that process turned into this experience that I've had so far. And it's been pretty amazing. I always find it fascinating because I was one of those, I, I was a police officer here in Atlanta for a lot of years. Always, all I ever wanted to do is be a police officer. Never thought about owning businesses, but then you start meeting these people that have like these inklings of success that way. And it starts like shifting and pivoting you a little bit. And I know you've done a lot. You mentioned you, you wanted to support the success. You've done a lot in that realm. It looks like you're an advisor and like a mentor across like all sorts of different capacities. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you're doing in that realm to help that next generation? Sure. So, you know, it's for me having these conversations with other early stage uh, entrepreneurs or founders that are starting on their journey. It's a wonderful way to stay close to them and remind yourself constantly of why this is such an amazing opportunity and to, you know, continue to follow the path with a heart of gratitude. So I'm a mentor in residence at an organization called Techstars, and they're a startup accelerator. And how I connected with Techstars was Promobox, my company before Koala, we were a Techstars company. And what that means is for anyone listening, uh, startup accelerators are organizations or entities, communities of people that come alongside early stage founders and help them navigate this complex and sometimes debilitating experience of building a technology from scratch, finding venture capital to you know experience the next stage of growth and going through that process of traction, how to build you know that motion and how to build technology that meets the needs of your customers. So my company Promobox was accepted into Techstars in 2011. Now the story behind that is that we actually were rejected in one of the last uh, rounds of interviews, they came and said, Hey, look, we think you guys are great, but we don't love the idea. We don't think it's big enough. So best of luck to you. And, you know, maybe we'll link up on your next company. And we heard that no. And of course, you know, those of us, my, my two other co-founders at Promobox were a little dismayed, but decided that we would continue on the journey. And, you know, maybe this is a story that I'll offer up in how you just never know how things will turn out. My co-founder and CEO at the time saw one of the managing directors at Techstars out randomly at a local Boston networking event, and she had her children with her. And his gut reaction was to sort of walk over there and say, you know, we want to prove you wrong. This is the worst mistake you ever made, not, you know, letting us into this accelerator. And it's given us more excitement to just get at this product because we think there's something really there. But seeing her with her kids really humanized her for him. And instead he walked over and said, you know, just thanked her for the experience and was like, we're going to use this to make us stronger. You probably see a lot of companies day in and day out and maybe we'll meet up again. But for now, we're going to continue on and, and hopefully make this an exciting opportunity for us. And the fact that she had that experience with him and she said, many people walk over and give her a piece of their mind. Um, and you can read between the lines there. But the fact that Ben walked over and was, you know, human with her and, and just thanked her for the experience, she called us the next morning. And that was the day that the new program was starting and said, I've never done this. 
still don't think your business idea is that great, but we think your team is amazing. And so we want to invite you down to Boston to start with this next cohort. And oh, by the way, it kicks off at like 10 p.m. or excuse me, 10 a.m. today. So we rushed down to Boston and the rest is history. And that's how I linked up with Techstars. And that's why I'm still investing in that network today because they believed in us. And I don't know how far we would have gotten without the love and support and direction of that community. I absolutely love that story. That's pretty awesome where you think about somebody not having faith in the product, but buying into the individuals. And I think that says a lot about the brand, the team, a lot of what you build with a with a business as an entrepreneur. Have you seen that continue forward where like the team is just a stellar part of like the overall brand and what's making it successful? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, a lot of times with not only accelerators, but with a lot of, you know, VCs, they are they're really looking at the founding team. They're primarily looking at the CEO, frankly, but they're looking at the founding team and the team that they're building and they're investing in the people. And in many cases, they're investing in the people because they know whatever problem they believe that that team is solving today is likely going to evolve at a quick clip and maybe even pivot. The idea that we started with you know, is not necessarily the idea that we end up bringing to market. And so they're investing in the individual's knowing that whatever problem comes their way, whatever opportunity they decide to solve, that they are the team to get at it. And so you'll see in many cases, the idea or the business might not be exactly what you're hoping for, or maybe the opportunity doesn't seem that large, but people will still make investments in their time, their resources, their money, because they believe in the people that whatever it is, they'll find they'll find a way to figure it out. So I would say, yet the team that you're creating today is you as listeners are deciding what that team should look like and what their platform should be, know that the team is an incredible, important part of what you build and an extension of the product. I think that's how we look at companies today. There's the platform, yes, if you're building a technology platform, and then there's the team and they're both a part of the product. I think that's so important to recognize because just like you experienced with with that instance, it turns into like, as entrepreneurs, we have these bumps. We're always going to have another obstacle. We're always going to have, I mean, nothing is ever like rainbows and sunshines, right? What would be the way, obviously we can't always just walk over to the the person making the decision, be like, Hey, you messed up, put us in the program, but there's got to be a way to overcome these obstacles. Have you found a, a great way to maybe recognize what a potential failure is and turn it into a, le- a learning opportunity? Oh my goodness. This is such a good question. I think the first thing I tell myself, there are three things I repeat in my mind over and over again. And, and one of them is it's not going to be 70 degrees and sunny every day. And, you know, coming from someone that really appreciates the warmth, but I live here in Boston, <laughs> it definitely resonates with me. What that means is it's not going to be smooth sailing. Um, it's definitely not. But if you know that going into, you know, your journey, that it's a fun roller coaster ride and to come from a place of gratitude it's important to set up expectations. And if your expectation is not only not always money in the bank, but learnings in the bank, then you're in a good place because whatever you're extracting from your interaction or your process or building the team that you're building, if you've come from a place of, I either want to learn from this experience or you know, what do I want to get out of these experiences? And I think for me, I'm on sales calls all day long here at Koala. So I always think you know, it might not be again, like a contract in the bank, it might not be money in the bank, but I always want to at least learn from whoever I'm speaking with. And that goes into the the second thing I tell myself a lot. And that's expectations are the root of all frustration. I think it's a Shakespeare quote. And for me, that reminds, it's a way for me to remind myself that 
if I'm really frustrated in a situation and we can get frustrated pretty often, I try to go back to the root cause of that frustration and why am I not approaching this from a place of gratitude? Because it's not all Pollyanna all the time. And I usually find that the root of not coming from a place of gratitude is because I had unrealistic expectations. I assumed that that deal was going to close at a high velocity when I really had no business thinking it was going to close. I assumed that I'd be able to run an investment process in a short time frame rather than what's usually what people usually see. I assumed that the person that I was speaking with lock onto the vision of Koala and I didn't quite get it, you know, get that across in the best way. So if I can mitigate my expectations, that doesn't mean have low expectations, but just not have ridiculously high expectations that cause you to get into a funk when those expectations aren't met really helps me mitigate that, you know, emotional roller coaster of creating something new from scratch. And the, the last piece I'll say here, another mantra I sort of am always saying to myself or often saying, and I don't remember, I think this is an old Buddhist monk that said this, but the idea is if you are an expert, the possibilities are few, but if you approach an opportunity like a novice or like a beginner, then the possibilities are endless. And I think of that for us as you know, serial entrepreneurs, we're obviously still learning at a really high clip. But if I can remind myself, you know, to look at an opportunity with new eyes, to try to always go back to that beginner mindset, even though I'm, you know, done this a few times and and feel seasoned in some ways, that it can help open up my mind to the possibilities rather than approaching it from an expert point of view and just thinking here are the 10 reasons why X, Y, and Z won't work. So straddling that one foot on land, one on sea is not easy, but I think it's a helpful reminder to me again, to have fresh eyes. I really love that because I know in my own journey, I've had that where as I've started more businesses, and I own a few at this point, where it turns into having to remember to get back into that grassroots mindset of like, yeah, this one's a success, but this one is a totally different industry where I don't have the connections. I don't have the network. I don't have that support that this one has already have. And I know me personally, I've ran into that almost like arrogance of it's like, well, this should work because this worked so well. So this should obviously work. And it's even something as simple as like post-COVID. I know I've dealt with this. I've had clients dealt with this. Getting back into like networking rooms and getting back out like in person or even making those sales calls again, right? And I love what you said is approach it like you're a novice where you're learning, like trying to learn it all over again. Because at this point, a lot of people really are learning all of this all over again after two years of not doing that. And I found a lot of folks are struggling with that motivation. Have you found a good way to stay motivated in this like relearning phase, if you will? (laughs) Thank you for that question. I appreciate you also providing some tactical examples of what it means to sort of approach things from that novice or beginner mentality, because you're right, like getting back in the trenches, you've shared several examples. One of them, I always think of that, like talking to your customers one-on-one and that of course connects to what we're here doing here at Koala, but it's so important to keep your ear to the ground. You know, keeping energy up is not easy. I got to say, it can be a very, very difficult thing because the journey is so arduous and it is very exciting. I think what keeps me energized, and I have my moments too, and when I know I'm having a moment, I take a step away. Uh, I go make some tea or maybe go out for a walk or connect with someone that I know loves me and I love them, like a family member, just to ground myself in what matters and know that this is a privilege to be able to do this. And it's not a right. That brings me back to that part of gratitude. So I would say, remember the things that give you energy. What gives you energy apart from your company and, and you know the different components of the business that might keep you energized? But what personally keeps you energized? Is it 
having a small, you know, thing that you can do for yourself and your coffee routine, or is it, you know, connecting with a family member and just hearing how they're doing and don't forget to take time away. You know, we were chatting before we we started recording about, you know, working through the weekends, working through vacations. And this is the reality of starting something from scratch. You don't always have the luxury to take some time and focus on you and yourself, but whenever you can get those small little moments to do so, it's so important. And if you find yourself frustrated and feeling an intense lack of energy or that you're languishing, you know, sometimes it's not that we're thrown into you know, bouts of depression, you know, it could just be that you have that meh sort of feeling, you know, ask yourself, did I get outside today? You know, did I spend some time with my dog or cat or my significant other that can help ground you? So those are some of the things I do to stay, stay energized, take a step away, remind yourself why you started this journey in the first place and spend some time with the people that you love, that you know, love you. I can't agree with you more. And it's funny, my business coach forced that on me because I was the guy 14, Mm. 16 hour days, like you just head down and especially with my background and the military mindset, like you just get the job done, right? And he actually made me put blocks of time in my day. So right when we get off of this, it's usually from like 12 to 2 or 11 to 1, depending on the day, how I have it fluctuate, but um, it's walk the dog and make lunch just to get away Mm -hmm. from the computer. Right. And I live here in midtown Atlanta, so everything's walking distance. So we'll walk to like, you know, a patio where I can just take her out. But like she for, she's a 15 year old Husky. So like she's the queen of the house. Right. (laughs) But it uh, straight up, she's over here mean mugging right now because she knows it's getting, getting close to time. But it's one of those, like, to your point, you have to break away and it helps for me. Like I go by my calendar. So like by programming that in there, where if I give that time to somebody else, it is a very rare moment Mm. and I'm going to break that away from that routine of us going out for just a quick walk to get that re-energized moment during the middle of the day. So I love that you really highlighted that piece of things. And I really want to transition this just slightly to get more into your background as a female leader, where my perspective is something that I could never really shift into the empathetic side of the things you've dealt with. Have you seen a different struggle as a female where in, even in the military, you just don't see a lot of female leaders that it's shifting now, but that Mm -hmm. mindset just fascinates me. Is, Is there a lesson that you've learned that's like, from that female perspective that you can share with some of those female listeners that may be struggling with a similar piece of the entrepreneurship struggle? Absolutely. You know, first I would say surround yourself with other women that are having the experiences that you're having. For instance, with Techstars and with the greater Boston community, I'm, I'm a part of a few female networking communities or just female founder communities. And we attempt to get together over Zoom once a month. Some meetups happen every week and just share our experiences. And it can be a really powerful, I'm experiencing this as well. And at least you feel like you're not alone. And there are powerful, capable women around you that are also going through you know, the gauntlet. They're all bloodied in the arena and it's just sharing what, what that looks like. I have to say, I've also surrounded myself with a lot of men who are very supportive of, you know, female leaders in general and the women around them that they look up to and admire. And it's nice to have that support from, of course, both sides and know that it's not all bad. It's not all good. And when you chat with other people and and share what you've been experiencing, and it can be a really powerful way to get yourself outside of your head, even if you're talking about your own experiences because other people are sharing too. So 
first thing is on the community front, just please network with other women. And it can be a really powerful way to, to, to stay grounded and just remind yourself that a lot of us are having similar experiences too. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's interesting in, in some of the work I've done, I found that a lot of my audience and a lot of my client base in the business coaching side are those females that have had a corporate career or military career and they're transitioning into entrepreneurship. And it's such an interesting piece where I can't necessarily identify with that struggle of being a female moving into like stepping into the limelight. Like it's such an interesting thing. I know I had a struggle with it, stepping into my own limelight, my own branding, if you will. But it's, it seems like females just have a, a little bit different mindset towards it, where it's even more difficult for them to really embrace this is who I am. This is what I'm going to be about. Because yeah. in the corporate world, it seems like that leadership level hasn't really shifted yet. So there's more of a struggle. Have, have you seen that? Do you recognize that at all in female? I do. I certainly do. And I think, you know, many of us were taught to, many of us were taught how important it is to embrace our empathetic side, our nice side, to approach things with grace and vulnerability. And these are all excellent qualities. It's just that in many cases, if that's the narrative that you've been fed for most of your life, it's tough to understand what does leadership look like when I embrace all of those qualities and I am a strong leader that can share my vision and what I believe the direction of the company should be and how do I pass it along to investors and community members and to co-founders because many of us you know I've definitely been called out in meetings for sure about my how nice I am sometimes when I provide my opinion and it's frustrating now I could be dismissive of that and say, I'm not here to be nice. I'm not here to coddle you. I'm not here to you know, ha have kid gloves. When we're talking about these important strategic moves of the business. It would be so easy for me to just discount that and say, you don't understand my experience as a female leader. You don't know that we're all called upon to be nice, but that's not really the goal here. But instead, what I try to understand is that tone is important and softness is important. Yes. But just because you're given a direction from a, you know, a male colleague that might not necessarily feel great and you, they don't understand that greater narrative behind the, the feedback that they're giving you, you know, I think it's also important in some cases to realize that there probably is room for growth and knowing that this narrative is attached to many female leaders. How do we be empathetic and how can we be empathetic and strong at the same time? And that's very situational. I feel like there's no broader, here's the rule that you follow. I don't think that many men have to deal with this scenario or, or you know, what I've been describing thus far, but I try to just embrace it and know that I'm on my own sincere you know, growth journey. And I do want to approach things in a way that my counterparts can hear whatever I'm trying to communicate so that tone or niceties don't necessarily get in the way of me getting my idea across. So that was a long-winded way of saying, I do believe there are other standards that we're held to. And while we need to work to eradicate those, we can use them to our advantage for growth opportunities and know that just this is how it's working today. How do we break through that? And also, how do we embrace it given where our society is and how it's evolving? I appreciate you framing it like that because I think it's one of those, some females and in the industries I've been in, some females feel like they have to go with the tonality, they have to like match and then exceed a male's tonality. And then they get labeled, not pleasant words. And they're like, Oh, she's just, you know, whatever. And it's a totally different concept where female leaders are dealing with that, where I could use whatever tone I want. And it's like, okay, he's mm -hmm. just an a-hole. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, no big deal. Right. 
And I love that you put that framing on it. So I, I appreciate that because I think that's something that a lot of females struggle with as they step into a leadership or business ownership position that a lot of us just don't recognize like that is still a consideration for a lot of women. And as I've started working with more of them, trying to coach that, that's like been a big obstacle is like a limiting belief to overcome is like, you have to be comfortable to step into that piece of it all. You really do. And I appreciate that you mentioned like, you know, how do I frame this? So I think it's so important for each of us, male and female and our, you know, non-binary friends to be what's like, to be our true selves. And yes, we're always evolving and we're always wanting to be a better version of that self based on the feedback we're giving ourselves and based on the feedback from our, you know, loved ones and team members, but really think about what your leadership style is. What is it inherently? And what would you like it to be as a woman? And then decide what you're willing to evolve and change and what you want to stay the same. Because in conversations, I've definitely gotten feedback that I'm a little too aggressive. (laughs) And then in other cases, I've gotten feedback that I'm not aggressive enough. Or sometimes it's, wow, you have a lot of confidence. Or sometimes it's, you don't have enough confidence. So depending on who you're talking to, you're not going to win. So I would say, stop chasing the dragon. Stop trying to be all things for all people. And think about what does your leadership journey look like? What's important for you to keep for yourself that you know that's the type of person that you want to be? How do you want to evolve? And then use that as your North Star, or else you're just going to be chasing other people's opinions of what you should or shouldn't be. I love that so much. And I love to see a powerful powerful and successful female like yourself have that mindset because it's one of those, it is such a difficult journey. And I would imagine this is something that has taken you years to craft. I imagine as a young leader, this might not have been your mindset and you've had these obstacles. Has there been a resource you've used or a mentor? I know you, you're big on community. Has there been somebody or something that's affected this to where it's helped you craft this confidence? Oh my goodness. Oh, so <laughs> such a good question. And I, I'm still definitely working on it. I know I'll work on it for the rest of my life. So what I'll say in just a moment is maybe not likely going to be helpful, but it's true to me. So first of all, it's experiences. You know, my dad told me a while back that my 20s were going to be me becoming more comfortable with who I am. And my 30s were going to be me being more comfortable with who I'm not. And now I'm, you know, I'm past my 30s. <laughs> And so I think about that a lot. And the reason why I mention this is because it is a journey. Depending on where you are, as far as just your life experiences, that's going to color how you feel about yourself and how you go about building up confidence. I have to say, you know, for most of my life, I really struggled with confidence. And it started to, I started to become more comfortable with myself, who I was and who I wasn't, as I just grew older and had those life experiences and started to realize that there are going to be so many opinions about who I am and who I'm not. And if I'm going to live my life trying to appease and please other people around me, that wasn't something that was making me happy or joyful in my life. So I I took sort of like a long look at, at what I wanted and the person that I wanted to be. And I realized that I was going to have to let go with who other people wanted me to be if I was going to have a fulfilled life and appreciate my journey. So I would say it's, you know, life experiences that have helped me through that. And, you know, that's not something that you can necessarily just automatically manufacture, but I will have say another plug and that's for therapy, talk therapy. (laughs) It's been so transformational for me to have someone that I know that I can go to. That's a totally agnostic person from my work life, my personal life, 
she knows me very well now, but she doesn't have anything invested in, you know, if I build a beautiful, successful company or not, or she's just there to listen and help me process. And that's been transformational for me as I move through my 40s, having that resource and that I chat with her every Thursday at noon and I do not miss a session. And it's very helpful for me to have that as a safe space where I can talk about anything that's going on. And it's a lot of self-discovery. Yeah, I, I applaud you for bringing that one up. A lot of people feel, I don't know if it's like an embarrassment about talking about therapy. My therapist saved my freaking life. Like there are some <laughs> different capacities. Like, oh my goodness, especially and from both segments of my background, therapy was seen as like wow. weakness. You don't, you don't share your thoughts. You don't share your feelings. You compartmentalize that, put your head down and move on. And what has never been taught in any of my background is how do you unpack that? How do you decompartmentalize without it exploding like a freaking volcano? And, you know, I had a low point and I finally got past the ego of like, all right, let me go get a freaking therapist because this dude, like you need that safe space. You need somebody that's mm -hmm. non-judgmental. And I went through probably five or 10 before I found my guy. Right. And yeah. there's a big vibe there where you have to share very intimate details about different things. So like you have to obviously vibe well with that individual, but I think that's one of the most powerful things that people don't talk about. And I feel like that's something we should normalize is like therapy is powerful and it really helps mm -hmm. to have that space for so many different aspects of business or life. And he and I talk about it all from business to life, to relationships, to you name it. And it yeah. really does help that aspect. So I applaud you for bringing that up. That is huge. Thank you. And, and thanks for sharing your journey too. It's, I don't know the stats on this, but I have heard it's very hard to find male therapists. There aren't many out there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would, I, you mentioned you went through several before you mm -hmm. found someone that you were, that you felt comfortable with. And if that's you, if you feel like you've tried, you know, any other listeners, you feel like you've tried several times and, and you gave up because you felt like you couldn't find someone just keep keep going um, because you you absolutely will. And, and sometimes it just takes a little bit of time. So yeah, thank you for sharing. I think talk therapy is an incredibly powerful way to, to process and I'm a verbal processor. So for Same. me, it's even Very more powerful same. because yes. yeah, the words have to yes. come out of my face for me to decide if they're true <laughs> or not Right. <laughs> and how I feel about them. Yeah. And what I recognized for the longest time was that it was, and there are different segments of PTSD and for my deployments, obviously there's the reactionary, but my big one was avoidance, which is compartmentalization and you're avoiding unpacking all of that. So for me, it was like coming up with like the most nonsensical ideas of why I didn't like a person and like, Oh, nope, you're not the guy. Oh, you're not the guy. And I just continue to make that excuse. So, you know, you definitely have to be ready for it, but starting that journey, it kept being that, that little like bug in my ear, like, come on, you got to find somebody. So definitely keep that journey going. I think that's huge. And I love everything that we're unpacking here because I think there's so much value there for entrepreneurs to listen to and to really understand. And I'm really curious with everything you're doing, you're really building just some amazing things. You're, you're putting out so much amazing content. What is the legacy you're wanting to leave on the world with all the amazing things you're doing? That's a good question. That is a crazy Monday morning question. <laughs> I've started the right question. I love it though. Sorry, I'm, I'm hitting um, you with the good stuff on Monday morning. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You know, in my heart of hearts, and I think about the things that motivate me, I just, I want to deeply know the people around me and I, I want to be deeply known. I mean, I think us as human beings, we're constantly craving that connection, whether we're introverts or extroverts. So for me, I'm, I'm motivated by learning. Yes, but I'm motivated by knowing and understanding the people around me. 
And when I think about the legacy that I want to leave, wow, for me, it's very simple. I want to do good in this world and pay it forward. And I know that's not very clear and and how that feels day in and day out slightly shifts, but it is important for me to solve a problem that I'm experiencing in daily life and then provide a way for other people to see that problem being solved. And that's again, very broad because how that manifests in whatever I'm building, it's not as important to me. I just want to know that I'm doing something that's good for other people that they see value from that's making their lives easier. And you know, so far, I feel like I've had the, the ability to help bring some of that to fruition with the companies that I've created, knowing the people around me, and then also building something that, that helps people make enriches individuals' lives is, is really what keeps me coming back day in and day out. I love that. And I think that's, I mean, purely and simply, I mean, that's like the entrepreneur 101 of why we do what we do and the passion behind what we do is like, I faced this problem, couldn't find a solution. So let me create a solution for this problem. And I love that you're on that journey. And I want to give the audience an opportunity. What's the best way to reach out, connect, find your content, find more about the business, go and give us all the ways to locate you and connect with you. Sure. Well, I'm only on LinkedIn. We talked a little bit about mental health. So for me, that's staying off most of social media, but you can find me uh, Sunsiere if you want to add the link, but it's S-O-N-C-I-A-R-Y. I'm the only Sunsiere, I think. So pretty easy to find. Please connect or message me if this episode landed and I would love to meet you. And then you can also email me Sunsiere at koala.io. And our website where we're creating a lot of content, you'll see my face all over there as well is um, quala.io. So those are those are the best ways to reach me. And I would love to meet anyone, especially other, of course, female founders and entrepreneurs, but anyone um, that wants to connect, please feel free to do so. I love meeting new people. Awesome. I love it. I appreciate it. And I encourage everybody head over there, check her out find all this amazing content, but also come back this Friday where we're going to get a little bit more tactical for Tactical Friday and find out some more of these amazing resources that you use every single day. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.